Well, good morning. What a good morning it is. Friday night, I got to be here with all those uh, deputies from Larimer County, and one fellow came up and said, this is the safest church in the nation tonight. I mean, there were more. It was crazy. But it was so moving to see Timberliners come and stand with them and pray over them and say, we're committed to exchange information. And I had the chance of welcoming them, them, welcoming them on behalf of the congregation. And I told them just a little story. It's confession. So I'm just going <laughs> to confess this to you. It'll go around the world, but I'm just going to confess it to you. And uh, Ruth and I have been here a couple of years, and I was driving down here on Horsetooth by Fort Collins High School. And I... I I wasn't concentrating, I just confess I wasn't. And then I looked up in my rearview mirror and saw lights. And then I was concentrating. <laughs> and I pulled over and the gentleman came up, he was very kind, I'm getting my license out, you know, and stuff. And he looks in the window and he said, uh, Dick Foth? And he looked at me and said, I'm a timberliner. The officer was a timberliner. <laughs> And I, out it with my mouth, I said, that's wonderful. Inside, I was saying, this is the, like the worst thing that could ever happen. <laughs> I wasn't going amazingly fast. He was kind enough that day to give me a warning, but he had this wonderful other thought for me. He said, I know, sir, that you know where you're going in the end, but we'd like you to be not quite in such a hurry to get there. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? I love that. So this is planting season. Well, after Mother's Day, I understand, at the, up here in the High Plains, planting season. And 100 years ago, if you'd lived here, uh, farms, ranches, the big industries would have been um, sugar beets and sheep and some corn and wheat and so forth. And the schools that are here, Colorado State was then... Um, Colorado Agricultural College. I guess that's why the A is up on the mountain over there. And Greeley, UNC, was the, was the Colorado State Teachers College. In Jesus' day, it was not dissimilar in terms of the agrarian activity. He was talking most of the time to farmers, family farmers, and fishermen, and uh, shepherds, and that sort of thing. Now, they didn't have the school thing going back then. It was more more literacy, maybe the boys would learn Torah when they went to synagogue. But in the Gospel of Mark, as this unfolds, Jesus used lots of, uses lots of illustrations that are farming illustrations. But he starts out this way, Mark records this, that here comes John the Baptist and Jesus, and they're proclaiming this entirely new kind of life. They're announcing uh, different ways for people to see each other, and how to live each day, and how to connect to God. And they called it the kingdom of God. This is chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn around, do a 180, and believe the good news. That's the way you enter this new structure or this new relationship 
by turning around and believing the good news. And so Jesus uses common things, as you know, and you've been hearing this for weeks now since the first of the year. You've been hearing little stories called parables, and he uses common examples like last week it was the lamp and the bushel basket. But the kingdom of God, as you read it, is this multifaceted, multidimensional thing, if you will, this this relationship that is exquisite and challenging all at the same time. There was a uh, British mystery writer by the name of Dorothy Sayers, born in 1893, died in 1947, was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis back in the day, and she was born into a vicar's home, a pastor's home, and ended up going to Oxford University. And she got uh, the equivalent of a master's degree. That is, she did all the work for a master's degree back around 1915, but didn't get a master's degree because Oxford University did not give degrees to women back in the day. It's changed, but, you know, that's how it was. But she became a writer, and she wrote detective stories, crime novels, if you will. And, on, and, and the other part of her writing was theology. And she has this wonderful quote and I'm going to read it to you. You'll see it on the screen that sort of captures or at least uh, highlights the character of the kingdom. This is, this is how it reads. And she talks about the kingdom of heaven. If you read the gospel of Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish audience. They wouldn't call it the kingdom of God simply because God's too holy a word to say. An Orthodox Jew would not do that. But it's kingdom of heaven. This is how it reads. The kingdom of heaven, said the Lord Christ, is among you. But what precisely is the kingdom of heaven? You cannot point to existing specimens saying, look here or look there. You can only catch this. You can only experience it. But what is it like? So that when we experience it, we may recognize it. Well, it's a change, like being born again, or relearning everything from the start. It grows like seed. We'll hear about that today. It's precious like buried treasure, like a rich pearl. It is new, yet in a sense it was always there, like turning out a cupboard and finding there your own childhood as well as your present self. Where it's equal, it seems unjust, and where it is just, it is clearly not equal. Some of you know the story in the Gospels where this, this man hires people to work in his vineyard, and he pays the guy who works eight hours the same amount that he pays the guy who works one hour. And you can see how people would say that's not, but it says you get what you bargained for. It is before the foundation of the world. It is to come. It is here and now. It is within you. This is my favorite line right here. It is recorded that the multitude sometimes failed to understand. And I'm reading this, I say, well, I guess. I mean, is it then or is it now or is it out there? And the answer to all of that is, yep, that's how it is. So to describe the kingdom, Jesus uses planting language. We're moving into the planting season. So here's another picture. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Okay, so you go out there, conditions are right, scatter seed, it grows. You're not over there blowing on it or waving a fan. You, it just does what it does. All by itself, verse 28 and 29, all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, 
then the head, then the full kernel in the head. I'm going to back up just a moment in this verse that we have on the screen. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's just do that together. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Here's my thought on that. And that is the kingdom of God has a life of its own. The kingdom of God has a life of its own. Life is inherent with seed in the soil. It's unstoppable. You ever see those little weeds come up through the cracks in the sidewalk? We say, you know, you got a ton of concrete. How does that do that? Well, it's got a life of its own. Inch by inch, growth happens. This is what it looks like, sort of as a sketch. This is, see, you got the seed, and then the, if you get enough heat, enough moisture, it does that, and it keeps going like that. I mean, we see this. Those of you who are parents, you've seen this with your with your children, especially when they hit the teenage years, you say, didn't, didn't we just buy that boy shoes two months ago? Why do we have to have more shoes now? Well, growth, this, this life is inherent and it just goes. God works with me, I know this, but he also works apart from me. God, I, I would submit this to you, that God is at work in the world. Listen to how Paul says it in Philippians second chapter. For it's God who works in you to act and will according to his good purpose. I would, I believe and I would submit to you that God is always at work in the world. He knows about nature, he knows about nurture, and he knows that nothing that has life comes full grown. When a baby is born, may have all of his or her parts, but it's not full grown. You know, this, this child is not born, then goes, gets in the car and drives away from that. No, it's not that. It's a process that goes on, and God is always at work out there beyond me doing things. I've shared this with you a bunch of times, but that time Back in the 90s when I first met the chaplain of the United States Senate, Richard Halverson, Ruth and I had moved to D.C. in 1993, and we stayed there 15 years working with people. And I sat with Dr. Halverson, and I said, how do you handle all this? You've got 100 senators, the most powerful club in the world. You've got all of this going on. That You've got staff of several hundred that are connected to the senators, and you've got all of Washington, D.C. How do you deal with that? He said, Dick, I get up every morning. And you've heard him say, get up every morning, and I look out at this city, and I say, Jesus, what is it that you're doing in this city today? Can I come and do it with you? Can I come and do it with you? God is always at work out there, and our lives are a process. I love the story of Ruth and Billy Graham. Many of you know the name Billy Graham. He, in the last century, he spoke to more people face to face than any other human being in history, if you will. And you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people over time. But they were driving through a construction zone one day, and they came to the end of the construction zone, and the sign was there. It said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And Ruth Graham looked at that sign, turned to Billy and said, that is what I want on my tombstone. 
end of construction, thank you for your patience. I believe that is what is on her tombstone. All of us are under construction. All of us are in process. And the kingdom of God has a life of its own. And as you are in process with your life, powerful things happen. Second thought is that the kingdom of God is mostly invisible. Mostly invisible. I mean, things that are essential to you, like air. You're sitting here, I'm standing here, we're breathing in and out. I'm gonna sit down here while I'm at it, if you don't mind. Breathing in and out. We can't see what it is that we're breathing, but it's real. And there are a lot of things that you can't see that are helpful things. That young pregnant mom who goes to the dock to get checked and they're doing that sonogram thing, that ultrasound. We don't see the waves that are creating or identifying the shape of that child in the womb. We can't see that with our naked eye, but in fact that's working. Sometimes things you can't see can hurt you. When Ruth and I moved to Falls Church, Virginia near DC, we bought an old home. It was 19, old by our, our standards, 1936. It was a little cottage sitting next to a big house that used to be the part of an estate. And back in the day, in the late 30s and 40s, a fellow named Milton Eisenhower lived in the big house there. He had a younger brother that many of you would know as Dwight David Eisenhower, Ike. General Eisenhower, World War II. And, and during World War II, General Eisenhower lived in that house next door for a year. And uh, there's a historic plaque and stuff. And this house that we had bought had been built by Milton Eisenhower and his wife for their daughter. And we had this thought that probably Ike came over to our house and had coffee like in the kitchen, you know. And we, we walked into the kitchen and it's 1936. It's a little galley kitchen, you know what I mean by a galley kitchen? And you pull the drawers out and they're tin. They're made out of metal. And so we did some refurb on the house and we were getting the furnace worked on. And... Um, the day we got the furnace fixed, whatever was needed, it was an old furnace, I happened to be at one of those stores, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or one of those, and I came to the counter where they get you at the counter. I love that. Usually it's candy bars that get me, but this was, I saw some of those carbon monoxide things. And so I said, we don't have any of those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get two or three of those. And so I got two or three of those, brought them home, installed them, and that day... I flew out to speak someplace. It was before cell phones, and the next morning I called home to see how Ruth was. She said, hey, we had quite a night. I said, what's that? He said, one of those carbon monoxide things went off at two this morning, and the fire department came, and uh, as they fixed the furnace, there was a gap. They hadn't quite connected one of the uh, ventilating pieces right, and the basement was filling with carbon monoxide, and had you not got that thing that day, and this gives me chills even to say it, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But so sometimes things you can't see can hurt you. But the, the point, the point about the invisible part of the kingdom is that even if you can't see it working, it doesn't mean it's, it's not working. And I, in that same conversation with Dr. Halverson, I said, you're a church guy. He was Mr. Presbyterian. I said, you're a churchman. Tell me what you think about the 
about the church. And we were sitting in the Senate dining room. I had never been in the Senate dining room. And I think Henry Kissinger and the other people were there. He was over in the corner, and I was trying not to gawk. And, and Dr. Halverson picks up a salt shaker, holds it about eight inches over his meat, one of those glass salt shakers, you know, about that long. Holds it eight inches over his meat, just drops it, bam, down on his. And I'm looking, and other people are looking. And he said, uh, the challenge with the church today, he was talking in the 1990s, was too often it's about the shaker. It's not about the salt. And the salt has to be out of the shaker for the kingdom to work. And when the salt is doing its work, it's mostly invisible. Mostly invisible. So here we are, kingdom comers. How do you get into the kingdom? How do you come under that rule of God in your life? Because it's not a space, it's a relationship, right? How do you get in there? Well, it says here, you get in when you believe the good news about who Jesus is. And, you know, my challenge is that we live in the day of the scientific m method. We, we have to quantify everything or we have to measure it. Otherwise, it's not real. I, I really like the scientific measurement measuring stuff, the scientific method, because the chairs you're sitting on were designed because of the scientific method. The fact that we have beams that hold up the roof, that's the scientific method. So I'm all over the scientific method. However, there comes a place where we have to be careful, and that is if we think that if we can't measure something, it's not real. Because the kingdom of God can't be measured that way. I... Uh, I can't put a number or a percentage to it. There are so many profound intangibles in our lives that are immeasurable. Let me ask you this question. How many pounds of love or joy or trust are in this room? How many, how many, miles, how many miles of Holy Spirit do we have at work here? I, yeah. I have no idea. You can't weigh it. Like Dorothy Sayer said, you can only experience it. So some of the greatest things of our lives are intangible. They are immeasurable. And, but I have to confess that not seeing things sometimes bothers me. I, when I was a young pastor back in Illinois, I'd go to meetings with other pastors. Their first question would be, so how many did you have Sunday? That was the measurement. They didn't say, did anybody's life get changed, or how did they go deeper, or what, you know. And I don't, I don't know where any individual is in their process, like Ruth Graham's process in that journey. I have no idea where any of us is in that. I, our intent, I think, is right, because we're all here. We could be out doing something other than here. And here is the God who comes along and says, just because you can't see it, don't let that bother you. When I was in the third grade, I was in the, at Wild Rose Elementary School in Monrovia, California. And they had a little exercise where they were going to have us plant stuff to see how stuff grows. So I chose nasturtiums. Anybody know what a nasturtium is? I think, I think you can even eat them. I had several ladies last night come and said, oh, yes, it's got a little spicy taste. We put them with the veggies. When you, okay, anyway, you can eat these, apparently. Okay. So I planted them there on our back little balcony, and it was warm in Southern California, and I waited four or five days, and nothing. I'm eight years old. I don't have time for nothing. I got a project. So I dug them up, see how they're doing. 
Well, that, you know, then, well, nothing yet. So I put him back down, crammed him down there. Another five, six days, nothing. Dug him up again. I would just submit, you know, don't go digging it up. Just trust that something is going on, okay? So we go on to Mark, the fourth chapter. Excuse me. Uh, we're in Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark 4:30, and it reads like this. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows, becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So a little tiny mustard seed grows into that. That's a Palestinian mustard tree. It can get 20 feet high and spread 30 feet wide. It's not like an oak tree. It's, it's that. And it says, and the birds come down in the heat of the desert and find refuge in its shade. It's like the kingdom of God. The relationship is like that where you can come down and find a place of security and safety in Jesus. And, but what an image. These people are listening to this story and he's saying, my kingdom is like this mustard seed. Well, they're standing in a space where the kingdom that's in charge is, is in Rome. And, and they got hobnailed sandals or whatever they wear and they got spears and shields and, they, and they're dominant and they come and they're weighty and they impose themselves on you. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not like that. I'm not going to impose my rule on you. My kingdom is like this mustard seed, and if you receive it, it will start growing inside of you. You will start seeing my character. And his rule starts tiny, and it's not a rule from the outside in. It's a rule from the inside out. What a, what a juxtaposition to all the kingdoms of the world that get there where there's a, huge, there's a huge battle going on in Khartoum in Sudan today with people getting killed on all sides because two people are vying for power. That's what we're used to. That's what we're used to seeing in kingdoms. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, mine's tiny. Just this little thing. Human conception is like that. The small thing can become a huge thing. You know, you have, you have these two cells when a baby starts, and then it starts multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. You turn around twice, and it's a six foot five, 240 pound lineman somewhere, you know, and it just started out with two cells, right? And this thought that a small thing can become a huge thing has all kinds of examples. Let me just give you this one. I was president of this small college back in the mid 80s. Hired a young journalist, 25 years old, who wanted to get a Bible degree, and so we swapped him. He teached journalism classes. We gave him Bible classes in this college where we were, and he was our public relations coordinator in the office next to mine for three years. His name was Hal, and one day he walked into my office and said, President Foth, I have this idea. And this idea is I'd like to take little teams of college students up into the mountains of Northern California where there are little congregations and people don't have any money and the pastors have to work two jobs just to put bread on the table, but they really feel called to that place. And we'd like to go help them. 
they're hurting a bit, we'd like to help them, so we'll take a team, and that week we'll, we'll do the services, we'll do the speaking, we'll let them go to the Holiday Inn with their family for a couple of days, we'll put groceries in their kitchen, that kind of stuff. And his, his thought was to help hurting people, and in that way even help the community so they can be activated in their own communities to help people. That was the thought. His name was Hal Donaldson. Today he leads a thing that you're a part of. It's called Convoy of Hope. And when you give to Convoy of Hope, you do four things. You help in disaster relief, so there are people on the ground in Ukraine, there are people on the ground in Syria and Turkey, and in Mississippi where the tornadoes are, because of what you have shared of your life in your giving. There are young women who get microloans in places like Tanzania, $200 to get a fruit stand so they can support their families and get a training. There are, there are kids or farmers who are trying to do better with their crops, and they provide specialists to help them do that so they can have better crops. And then there are children who go to schools, and there they get fed, get an education, and get food. And what started out as an idea, I'm sure he had the idea before he walked into my office, I know he did, but what started out as a little small idea, today around the world will feed 500,000 children today and every day going forward because one person had one idea. You can quantify the number of that, but you can't quantify the depth of change in a child who goes to that school and a mind and a heart is touched. Hear Paul again, God is at work to will and to do of his good pleasure. And you say, well, I, I'm so glad I could help with Convoy. And you did. You did feed a child today, but way more. You planted a seed. Secondarily, you planted a seed. One more thought. I would submit that we are seeds. We're kingdom people. We are seeds and that, and that we have value in that. Some of us over the years have been told or come to believe, you know, I'm nobody. I'll, I'll not ever do anything great. I would submit to you that a little tiny thing becomes huge under God's loving care. And you are a seed. Please do not buy in to the lie that you don't matter or that I'll never do a great thing. I love what Mother Teresa said years ago, not very many people do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. There's a profundity, there's a power in that that is just uh, touching to my heart. Jesus goes on with many similar parables. Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. How much will he teach us or show us? Well, it says here, it gives us the answer, as much as we can understand. And I, I pray, Lord, I know I'm getting older, but if you could still increase my capacity to understand going forward, every day, every week, and here's my closing thought. One more story, I'm out. One thing, one tiny thing, one person, one moment, a single moment can change the course of history. A single moment, one little thing can change the course of history. Let me show you a great face. 
This fellow is Dr. Edward Lorenz. Dr. Lorenz died some years ago, but he was a meteorologist, mathematician, I think at MIT back in Boston. And he was a specialist in what is called chaos theory. That's all I know about chaos theory. Do not ask me about it following the survey. But, but it has to do with how a little thing affects, uh, triggers something much larger. And the example, many of you have heard this, is the butterfly effect, where a butterfly in a Latin American rainforest, by flapping its wings, can affect something in weather patterns down the road. And I say, really? How does that happen? I don't know how that happens that way, even though that can be scientifically proved. But I have seen it over and over and over again in the kingdom of God. One moment, one time. Next weekend, I'm going to be, uh, Ruth and I are on our way to Oregon, and I'm going to be speaking at a congregation in Tualatin, Oregon, just south of Portland. And a friend of ours there, Stan Karen Russell, they've been there 30 years, and they're doing a celebration for their 30th anniversary. And they called and said, would you come and speak? Because I speak there on some regularity over the years. And here's a congregation that over the years has, they probably have 800 folks in the congregation. They have a K through 12 school. They, just 800 folks have given over the years millions and millions and millions of dollars to missions around the world. You can quantify all that. But I called Stan, I said, Stan, Stan, I need to be on a Zoom call with you this week. So earlier this week, we got on a Zoom call and I said, you're 62 years old, right, Stan? He said, yep. He said, I want you to give me one moment in each of your six decades where you can say, God showed up. Just give me one moment. He said, I can give you dozens. I said, I don't need dozens of moments. Yeah. I've only got 30 minutes next Sunday. I just, you know, just give me one moment. He said, well, I can tell you one when in my first decade. I said, okay, what was it? He said, I was the second child in our, in our family. I have an older brother whom I never met because before I was born, he was two years old and he died in a house fire, my parents. And my father was a pastor. And when that happened, my father said, if that's the way it's gonna be, I'm done. I am out. And he walked away from the church, walked away from God, just walked away because he was so wounded and so hurt. He said, so by the time I got to be eight years old, I had never gone to church. It didn't know about the Bible or anything, and I was living in Aptos, California. That's down on Monterey Bay. And there was an old guy that lived next door to us, and one day he came over, and he had asked me if I wanted to go to Sunday school, and I, yeah. And he came over and said, we're having a softball game at church. He said, I love baseball. He went on to play baseball at university. He said, I love baseball. And I said, no. And then he said, well, okay. And I went to this softball game with him, with this old guy. And he said he was a terrible softball player. He struck out three times in the times at bat, he said. But I loved the baseball and I kept going to play baseball. And then one day he invited me to go to the Sunday school or the church. And in, in that space, when I went from softball to Sunday school, I gave my heart, my eight-year-old heart to Jesus. And I would go every Sunday, my folks wouldn't come at all. And then one day they came, and that day when they came, the Holy Spirit showed up and touched my dad's heart, and everything went away. He was a broken person, and he was restored, and he came back, and, and later became a pastor again after all of that stuff. And I'm listening to Stan tell me this, and I'm almost weeping on the Zoom call. He's almost weeping on the Zoom call. 
And he said, Dick, one, one invitation by this one guy to go play softball changed my whole life. One moment can change our entire history. Kingdom of God, it's not imposed on us. It's received by us. It's mostly invisible, always in play, and a tiny thing can grow huge over time. I want to pray for us as we close. Pray with us. And my prayer is going to be, Lord, help us be fertile ground. Help us understand that we're also seeds. Help us to be open to more of your life in us. Help us to trust you when we can't quantify it, when we can't see it. Some of you here have walked with Jesus for a lot of years, and you've, you've prayed for somebody in your family. You've prayed for some friend that somehow that life would be touched, and there just there doesn't seem to be much movement, any. And I'm encouraging you, the God of all the universe cares more for that person in that situation than you do, and you love them. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you are the God who works invisibly so often. And then when we see it, we rejoice. Help us to rejoice even when we don't see it, to trust that you're at work. For the person in the sound of my voice who may be like Stan's dad, you've had a great hurt. He or she has had a great hurt and they've walked away, but for whatever reason, they're in the sound of my voice this morning and it, they feel the tug of your spirit. Let this be their moment of restoration, their moment of refreshing and new life. For the one or several who have never thought about this before, let this be a moment when that thinking starts, that a plant, a seed of the kingdom might germinate. We give you praise for who you are. Thank you for letting us be kingdom comers. What a joy it is to be royalty. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and prepare to worship. For those of you who are guests, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out there in the back with some other pastoral friends. Even if you're not guests and just want to wander by, just wander out that way. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.